He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. Joined by the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in the world. This time we'll start with Aubrey. It's summer. I'm a teacher. There's nothing going on in my life, and I absolutely love it. <laughs> That's the update. Is that going to be your update all summer? No update, because I'm doing nothing. Absolutely nothing. Watch movies, play golf. That's it. Rigby. Oh, Rigby. What did you say? Oh, that's really interesting. You piece of shit. You're not here yet, are you? Because you're late. (laughs) Rigby is late again, and he said he had a work call, which means I think he's a Golden Knights fan, and he had a lap dance to be had out there uh, for the Stanley Cup Finals. Who knows? (laughs) But when he gets here, we'll make fun of him. Case. Well, I do have an update. I'm on uh, two weeks since my uh, hip surgery. I'm on week two of 16 total weeks this summer being on crutches. That sucks, dude. I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum as Aubrey. I am not living the high life right now. How'd it go? I mean, they tell me it went well. I don't know. I was asleep. That's true. I did end up having to stay uh, an extra night at the hospital because I couldn't pass the assisted walking test because the nerve block didn't wear off. Oh, boy. I could feel perfectly well where they did surgery. That hurt like hell. And I could feel my toes. Anything in between, I, I couldn't feel. I had no control over. And they're like, yeah, just go to bed. We'll, we'll wake you up in the morning and take you home. Did you get any fun drugs or what? <laughs> no, I'm, everything's pretty pretty straightforward. That sucks, man. James, this past weekend, I brought little Billy Atherton Jr. on her first flight, and uh, it went well, shockingly well. We got lucky on the flight home in that the guy who actually was sitting next to us was hearing impaired, so her crying the whole time didn't bother him as much. Funny enough, she shit the moment we sat down, and so when the plane finally levels out and I get to use the bathroom, I go and I change her and I sit down and she shits again. So uh, <laughs> other than constant pooping, she was actually pretty good on the plane. So that's uh, encouraging for future trips with the baby. Who pooped more on the plane, you or Billy Afton Jr.? <laughs> I can hold it. She, uh, she just doesn't care. This girl just social graces, doesn't, give, doesn't care about anyone else, just, just shits whenever she pleases. I think she's trying to uh, teach you how to live life. Yeah. I think you should do the same, James. It's good. I'm a little late to the party on my end, but I have become very obsessed with uh, I Think You Should Leave the last week. I've been watching it on repeat. It's the best. If you're like, Kyle, what's your favorite one? It's so hard to point one out because they all make me laugh so hard. Like as soon as I get focused on one and try to memorize quote, I get hit with another one where I'm just chuckling my dick off. But the driving crooner just continues to kill me every time. I just love the way he yells at people. He just screams and it makes me laugh every time. He's such an acquired taste. And so when people don't find him funny, I don't press on him. But I think he's fucking hilarious. Very few people can make me cry laughing and he can make that happen. 
I literally was watching that before this instead of like crushing J-Law. I was like, I've seen enough J-Law. I need more Tim Robinson. It's got to happen. I think I'm going to laugh just as much with Dames Arves here because he always makes us laugh. Uh, Dames is the CEO of Lock 22 Productions, a multimedia institution involved in everything from producing TV shows to selling vinyl records and comic books. He's on the cusp of releasing his long-awaited docuseries, Comedians. And he was previously with us for the Brian Cranston, Daryl Hannah, and John Turturro episodes. Welcome back, Dames. You're always on the precipice of something interesting, and I, I think our audience wants to hear about it. Yeah. Well, I'll talk about comedians first. It's uh, I basically spent the last year of my life uh, following comedians all around the Midwest. Um, some overnight stays, some week stays, and I found five comedians in our local region that I've been spotlighting and interviewing and basically attending every single one of their shows and filming it to put together this series because I want people to see how fucking hard it is. Last time, you know, you guys, I told you that I was dabbling in stand-up comedy and, and I got out of it in favor of being behind the camera because it's <laughs> damn hard. Yeah. People that make you laugh, there's so much that goes on behind it. They have lives just like everybody else and... and you know, my intent with this show is not to show you their entire act, but to show you what their lives are like and how it ties into comedy. And it's it's pretty fascinating. NFL, our NFL show coming up. It'll be every week once the NFL season starts. We are just wrapping up uh, Puck University, which is our hockey show. We got Two Marks and a Spark, which is our weekly wrestling show. And a whole bunch of new stuff coming down the line. So Jesus, I love it. Life is good. And I produce all of this. It's awesome, dude. Busy, man. I'm genuinely excited that you you continue to come back and hang out with us and do this, because unlike somebody else, I won't be named who won't do it anymore. <laughs> Dane. It's a bullshitter. I'm genuinely excited to see this uh, documentary about comedians. I love stand-up comedy, and, and I agree. I've never heard a stand-up comedian talk about how easy it was. We're happy to have you back. Excited to hear about all the exciting things you're doing. Let's dig in. Rigby, birthday is June 22nd. What do we got? All right. First up, we got a woman who needs no introduction. The goat, Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Most famous for her phenomenal singing in Mamma Mia, right? Yeah. Right, <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. When I saw that, I knew that was going to happen. Oh, shit. I forgot about that. Jesus, like the greatest actor of all time. Can we just, I said that. <laughs> She's probably older than we think. Oh, we have to get, I actually know how old she is. You do? She's my favorite. 71. That's a shot. 75. 75? 73. I'll split the difference. Oh, man. Can't be the highest after the whole singing thing. 62. <laughs> she looks great. What a nice guess. Dames, you want to do the honors? I believe she's 73. She's turning 74 on June 22nd, so Kyle gets the win there. We're, we're moving on from one of Dames' favorites to one of Craig's favorites, Mr. Bruce Campbell. Mm-hmm. Love Bruce Campbell. He's still waiting for that wheel to land on Bruce for one of these Halloween episodes, one of these times. Yep. It's only a matter of time. It ain't ever going to happen. Let's see, how, let's see how big of a fan you really are, Craig. Let me do some math while you guys throw around some wild guesses. I've got no idea here. I think he's in his 60s. Yeah, I was going to say 60s. I'm going to say 60 on the button. Uh, give me 62. What year was the first Evil Dead? Oh, uh, yeah, 82. Something like that. Yeah, something like that. 65. 68. He's good buddies with a friend of mine, Mike Kellio. Name dropper. 
<laughs> he told me how old he was, and I can't fucking remember. I'm going to say I was 64. So Aubrey wins it on the dot. He's turning 65. Redemption. Nice. Nice. Close. Okay. Handsome man. He looks good. I love Bruce Campbell. He's the best. All right, so we put through five actors onto the wheel here for episode 85. And those five actors were Jesse Eisenberg, Tim Allen, Tara Strong, Jodie Foster. But it doesn't matter because the wheel selected Jennifer Lawrence, J-Law. And Dames decided to join us to talk some J-Law. Um, J-Law, she's younger in the game comparatively to some other performers we've covered lately. She's got only 34 credits, but boy, do those 34 pack a punch. Mm-hmm. Um, so quite a bit that she's done since she's gotten to the entertainment world. Um, but before we get into the deets, we always start with James. 85 episodes in, he he still finds a way to blow us away, astound us, synonyms, and he's going to do a little actor trivia. You guys are part of the initiated, but for those of you at home who are new listeners, I am about to read three facts, two of which are going to be true about Jennifer Lawrence, one of which is not going to be true about Jennifer, but it is going to be true about one of the many illustrious cast members of the Fast and Furious franchise. Fellas here are going to guess which one is not about J-Law. Fact number one, at one point was the sixth highest paid actress in Hollywood, bringing in over $16.5 million a movie. Fact number two, she's the youngest person ever to be nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Actor or Actress. Fact number three, family member once stole her Oscar ballot, which she received in the mail, and tried to vote for the Oscars on her behalf, which is illegal. <laughs> Just to clarify for all, for our listeners, James, that's mm-hmm. legal. Yep. Very important. Off the steel, guys. I think I know this one because the importance is family. So number three is about <laughs> Vin Diesel's accountant brother who stole it and tried to vote for was one of Vin Diesel's many, many roles. Oh, you're talking about Paul Diesel. Paul, Paul Diesel? That's right. Yeah. Paul. Paul Diesel. The fact that Vin Diesel gets mentioned in the same sentence as Oscar... <laughs> I feel attacked by these three questions because it's going to be very hard to choose a rapper from the Fast and Furious series. Because oh no, it's not. There's so many good ones. <laughs> I mean, there's so many good rappers. Sure, I don't know how many of them are getting Oscar ballots. So I'm going to go way off this time. I'm going to say it is the third one, and it's Brie Larson. Hmm. We'll guess rappers next week. <laughs> back back to your normal bag next week. Yeah. Okay. Paul Walker's dead, right? He is very dead. Yes. Allegedly. Whoa. Oh no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that she was nominated for two Oscars by the age of twenty one. Be sure. So I think number two is out. I don't think that's true. All right, so I'm gonna say three and someone stole dead Paul Walker's Oscar ballot. <laughs> <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. Like he's dead. They didn't know it was illegal. They were just like, we'll just do it. Completely fair. Fucking dead, man. It's super fucking dead. <laughs> Fact one, because nobody's picked that yet. And I'm going to say to mark his return to the Fast and Furious franchise, I'm going to say number one is The Rock. I think James has switched actor to actress. Spoiler <laughs> The Rock is back in and he and Vin Diesel are getting along. I'm going to go three's the lie. And I think that's Helen Mirren. It's a fair guess. <laughs> She's got some sketchy family members, I've heard. <laughs> got some rascally nephews or something. Yep. <laughs> the Mirren family does seem untrustworthy. Yeah. <laughs> Those Brits, dude. They should watch the Fast and Furious films, learn a little bit about family. 
I mentioned Paul Walker's dead every time we do this, and none of you like ever call me out. On it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's funny. Every time you bring it up, I find it hilarious. <laughs> First fact that is true is fact number three. A family member actually once stole her Oscar ballot, which she received in the mail, and tried to vote on her behalf, which is not legal. Uh, Lawrence was aghast to find that her mother actually filled out the official ballot, which came in the mail, mailed it back, only to find out that it got returned to their home because it was mailed to the wrong address. <laughs> She later said that her and her mom did not agree on her mother's Oscar picks, so she's glad she fucked that up and promised never to do it again. She's got a good relationship with her parents. I don't think her mom thought it was that big of a deal. Obviously, the Oscars uh, likes the smell of their own farts, and they thought it was a huge deal. Just thought that was a funny story. Very humanizing for your mom to be like, yeah, who cares? I really love the Green Book or whatever. Like, yeah, it was a good movie. And she's like, mom, what the fuck? <laughs> Fact number two, she's the youngest person ever to be nominated for two Academy Awards for Best Actor or Actress. That is true. Mm-hmm. In 2012, uh, the romantic comedy Silver Linings Playbook, which we'll cover, earned her an Academy Award for Best Actress, among other accolades. Made her the youngest ever to be nominated for two Academy Awards. And the second youngest Best Actress winner ever, only behind Marley Matlin. So J-Law was 22. Marley Matlin was 21 uh, when she won it. By age 23, a year later, she actually became the youngest actress to be nominated for three Oscars. So she just keeps racking them up. To that point, she's the first person born in the 1990s to have won an Oscar. Recently, another person in the 1990s has been nominated. I believe it was for West Side Story, but I don't believe they won. (laughs) She's just accomplished a ton. It's uh, really impressive. And then fact number one, yeah, it is. at one point, was the sixth highest paid actress in Hollywood. That's actually kind of undercutting it a little bit. Between 2015 and 2016, J-Law was actually the highest paid actress in Hollywood by a substantial amount. She brought in over $98 million total in the course of those two years, with her movies earning $5.5 billion dollars. Charlize Theron, who famously portrayed Cypher, who could forget, in The Fate of the Furious and Fast and Furious 9, she's the one who earns about $16.5 million per starring role. J-Law is actually north of that. Woo! Get on her level, bitch. For real. Damn. That's good. Good work, James. Mm-hmm. I'm proud that I got it right. Didn't get The Rock right. I'm waiting for The Rock return so we can all rejoice for his next solo movie in the Fast and Furious franchise. All right, Case, tell us about her snapshot in box office history. I don't think anybody's going to be incredibly surprised at anything I'm about to talk about. Kyle talked earlier about the fact that she doesn't have as many credits, and she has done very, very well in the box office, as James has alluded to. So you, you put them together, the fact she's earned a shitload of money off not as many movies, and she's done big box office movies as well as smaller, you know, I wouldn't say indie films, but dramas and stuff like that where the where the budgets aren't as inflated, she's going to do pretty well for herself. One of her most interesting movies, and I, and I hope people know a little bit more about it than I do, is a movie called Like Crazy. And this has one of the lowest budgets we've looked at with $250,000, and it pulled in almost $4 million. And that is actually the sixth best performing movie when you consider investment upon return. But that is not her highest number. Her highest number in the areas we compare everybody is Star Meter, where our girl is currently 24th. The only one that was higher than that at time of recording was... Brian Cranston. 
Nope. Any other guesses on who was number one at time of recording? And I will say it coincided with this person having a sequel coming out, and both of them did very well in the box office. Is it Chris Pratt? Nope. That's what I was going to get. I mean, she's got that the big-time film coming up, so it's not shocking. Emily Blunt was number one, because I believe we recorded around the same time as Quiet Place 2 was coming out. Oh, that's right. I remember that. Which was sneaky good. Here are her numbers. Her career is incredible. We'll talk about it. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time right now. Total box office rank is 13th, which is incredibly impressive when you only have, what, 32, 34 credits. Mm -hmm. Star rank is number two. Her average critic ranking is 20th. Average fan ranking is 14th. Like I said, she she performs 6th in one box office metric and 22nd in the other. And when you put that together, she comes out being number two. Wow. Dose. Two overall, huh? Yep. I mean, she's just been A-list from the jump. Damn. And then she throws in these wild, almost indie-level films, and, and they do well. Here's our top five, and I think this is interesting. Maggie Smith is one. Jennifer Lawrence is two. Emma Thompson is three. Leonardo DiCaprio is four, and Allison Janney is five. She's in everything. Yeah, it's... She's damn good. Go listen to the Allison Janney episode if you're listening, because it's great. You double the rigby, double the fun in that one. Go check it out. <laughs> <laughs> By far the youngest person in the top five, too. We've been skirting around the middle and the, the bottom of that list for a while, so getting to a, a number two is pretty interesting. We'll see how it goes. Thanks, guys. She was born in Kentucky, Indian Hills, Kentucky in 1990, so that would make her around, what, 32 years old. I feel old. <laughs> she grew up in the Louisville area and started doing some stage work and some, some acting at a young age. I read that helped solve some of her anxiety. Was also a four-sport athlete. She was a cheerleader, played several sports, so kind of a five-tool player, you know? She can act, she can do a little bit of everything over there. But what I did see in a video is that she was spotted by a talent scout in New York at 14, and that kind of led her on her trajectory to getting into entertainment. Family vacation to New York when, you know, she was 14 years old and was approached by one of those people who you usually think's hustling you, like someone at the mall who's like, oh my God, you, you could be a model. Uh, do you have a thousand dollars? I'll take headshots for you. And so her parents thought it was nonsense. And the photographer was like, listen doesn't cost anything we have a cold read tomorrow for an audition why don't you just swing by it's completely free she showed up did the cold read they everyone there told her best cold read i've ever seen from a 14 year old and tried to convince her that she needed to spend the rest of the summer in manhattan after kind of leaving that agency they didn't think it was real they're like yeah whatever the next day Agents followed up with her inviter studio to do the cold read again. And again, they were blown away. Uh, and then that summer, she dropped out of school. This is like eighth grade. Wow. She dropped out of school, spent the summer in New York City, started landing some roles. And lo and behold, that person was right. She became a megastar. Has she gotten her GED since then? I assume she has. You would think that. And I read online where people's like, oh, she's like actually a genius. She is very open and honest about it. She's like, I love to read. I have not gotten my GED. I am not very educated. I think she plays it up a little bit to be like kind of salt of the earth. But I think she genuinely is salt of the earth, but she is not graduated. Well, clearly she didn't know how to fill out her own Oscar ballot. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Reading that she's got that athletic background makes a ton of sense as you're watching a lot of these roles. 
She's physically very graceful in a, in a lot of her roles. But what's funny is she'll tell you that she, she's not. Like I've, I watched a couple of interviews where she's like, I'm not athletic. So I think it was like small town school. They need people to participate in athletics. But she's like, yeah, Hunger Games. Would, I'm not really the most physically fit person in the world for that kind of role. She's a very good athlete. It's very clear. Maybe she's just incredibly humble, you know? I would admit that. You guys feel like she's been in our lives longer than 12 years? Definitely. I do, yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, with the profile of so many of her projects, it does feel like it. Yeah, Dames, it's hard to think back to a time when I followed movies and she wasn't a movie star. Right. It's like the longest time like I've been really serious about watching movies and trying to write and be a critic and stuff, she's been like the biggest star. Yeah. It was almost kind of like weird going back through some of these because it's like, I remember a lot of these moments because for this time, she's been the person that we're like, oh, Jennifer Lawrence is like the biggest thing that we've seen because she's been such a big part of what we've done. That time, she's like the biggest star since we've been writing about it. Well, early on, her first on-screen role was in, in, in one episode of Monk in 2006. And then she did an episode of Cold Case in 2007. So it started with some TV, a couple episodes of Medium, 07 to 08. You know, typically she's getting into the industry. She's doing a lot of, you know, one episode spots on some, what are some pretty popular TV shows at the time? Mm-hmm. Uh, first film was Garden Party from 2008. She played Tiff. But her first major role where she gets to really take a chunk out of screen time is in 2008's The Poker House. Alongside Chloe Grace Moretz, she played Agnes and Aubrey drew it this time. All right, so The Poker House from 2008 is a dramatization of Lori Petty's teenage years spent in a small town in Iowa. Lori Petty, I would probably say best known for being a kid in A League of Their Own. That's how I knew her. Essentially, it's a film about a family that's reeling after leaving their abusive husband slash father. The trauma of that situation follows the family, particularly the mother, played by Selma Blair. And that leads them into a worse situation. The Poker House, which is what the film's title is, is essentially like kind of like a whorehouse in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And so there's like they're playing cards and poker and stuff in there. But there's also like prostitutes and all this and drugs and all this. And it's led by its pimp, which is played by Bokeem Woodbine, who I love. His name is Duval, which was weird because of Florida. Anyways, <laughs> the film follows the family through a brief time in which we get to see how each of them is trying to cope or escape that situation. It's a film with a, some good ideas. Like, I like how you get to, it's a kind of movie. You're kind of just walking through what this experience is like for each of the people in this family. There's good performances. The movie is a bit of a mess. It kind of falls flat. It's scattered in a way that doesn't, kind of doesn't tie its emotional bits together. I'd say it's good intentioned and the execution is a little bit, leaves a lot to be desired. Jennifer Lawrence, however, is incredible. It's easy to look back now with all that we know and be like, you could tell from the first time she was on screen that she was going to be a star. So like, it's hard to say that, but it's kind of like everything she's good at that you would say she's good at now, you would say is what makes her great is present in this movie. She's super charming. She's funny. The way she interacts with her siblings, she has two younger sisters in the movie, one of them being Chloe Grace Moretz, who's great. Like, as a child actor, Chloe Grace Moretz is, like, amazing. And so her plot line is kind of useless in this movie. 
she's really fun to watch. So that's great to see. But Jennifer Lawrence interacting with all these different people. She deals with heavy emotional bits. She has to be very like big and dramatic and convey a lot of emotion. It all works in a film that's not really working around her. It's one of those where like, if you want to see how naturally gifted she is, this is a good movie to see that. Just not working around. Like Selma Blair is not really great. And when those things aren't working around her, it's she still shines. So it's it's an interesting movie. I wouldn't recommend it. I guess it would be one of these where be careful like what you're getting into. There's like an extended rape scene. Mm-hmm. And it's really sad for Boking Woodbine, who's a great actor, and it's nice to see him do things. And I was like, oh great, he's in this. Talk about a turn. And then I get to the end of the movie and I'm like, could it have been anybody else? <laughs> so there's like some like real tough themes, but it's great kid acting. All three of the girls, including Jennifer Lawrence, are really good. And Jennifer Lawrence is great. So if it's one of those where if you can stomach some of the bad stuff, it's worth seeing to see how great she is. Aubrey, how were her like acting technical skills or was it just just raw talent. I'd say one of the things that just generally makes her a bit special is that she kind of has, she can kind of do it all. So she has like, she can do all of the things you would consider acting. You know, Mm -hmm. I think her natural ability comes in how she holds everything together. Like she holds your attention when she's just driving in a car. There's a sequence where they're singing a song together and you're all in on that. Like everything she does is really engaging. And I think that's where her natural ability comes in. I mean, she talks a lot about how she kind of just does what the director tells her to do. So you get a little bit of sense of that. But to me, technically, it all works because she is able to convey the necessary emotion without telling me what I need to feel. Okay. That's what I look for in great acting performances. And she can give you that in spades. Like, and she does that here. where It's a lot of complex emotion without saying a lot of things. You're not dealing with a bunch of exposition. You're just experiencing their emotion. I'm of the same mind as you, Aubrey. The Selma Blair character just kind of threw me for a curve. Didn't love it. She was committed. And it's just a hard movie to watch. It's just not enjoyable. Like, I just, not something where I felt like I learned anything or I felt better about myself for watching it. It's like trauma without a point. Yeah. Watching people struggle without a point, which it's an interesting movie to, and not to jump ahead, but it's an interesting movie to hold up next to something like Winter's Bone, which I watched next, like I watched them almost in succession. Oh, oops. Heavy, heavy, huh? Really interesting movies. <laughs> <laughs> They're interesting movies. She was typecast early on. <laughs> Boy, did she nail it. The people of Small Town Iowa are much better than the people of the Ozarks. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. So the next couple of years, uh, as uh, Aubrey alluded to, her like big sitcom break there after the poker hour, right about the same time as the poker house, is her role as Lauren in 31 episodes of the Bill Langvall show over three years. I, she's funny in this. I watched it. At- it's completely missed my radar. I never knew about this until I read that. This is where I discovered her because I, I, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan and TBS always used to show Seinfeld back in the day and they would air ads for this show. And she would always be in the commercials. I'm like, man, she's pretty cute. Little did I know that she would turn into the star that she turned into. I never watched the show, but I definitely knew her from knew her from the ads and knew her knew that she was in this. And she's sitcom funny. Like I did, I'm not like an expert on this show. I watched like bits of it when it came out. I don't really remember a ton of it, and I kind of watched some clips to remind myself. She's sitcom funny. She's doing it. It's it, it's working, and it shows like particularly at this time in her career, like a whole different gear. Yeah, I assume a lot of people don't even really know that she has. Like, it's straight comedy, and it and it worked. Her parts work. 
it's crazy that the Bill Ingvall show was on for at least 31 episodes. That's that's where I'm speechless. <laughs> Those guys are popular. They got their own. They got a huge following. 2010, she started dating Nicholas Holt on the set of X-Men First Class. Her, one of her co-workers there dated him for four years. So from 2010 to 2014. So that would have made her, what, at 20? So young love with another very talented actor at the time. What character was Nicholas Holt? Beast. Beast. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it, it, that plays out in, on film then? Yes, it did. Highest critic score, though, is going to be 2010's Winter's Bone. We've already mentioned it. A film that got her some Oscar and Golden Globe love. And Dames drew this one. He got the, he got the big one. He got the highest critic score as the guest. This was when I was really getting into making sure that I watched all the Oscar-nominated films. So this was what my first real-life introduction to her. And the thing I'll say about her, especially in this well, not even especially in this film and everything. She, there's no false moments with her. She's very real, very believable in everything that I've seen her in. And for her to be doing that at this age, not growing up thinking I'm going to do this, but being discovered by somebody, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty impressive. And this movie is, I won't say it's difficult to watch. It's difficult to enjoy while you're watching it because it's just so depressing there's the one scene where they take her to the the swamp with the bag on her head and then they make her pull her dad out of the that is that's some i mean that's relatable yeah you mean to tell me you don't want to chop your dad's arms off in the lake you don't want to do that okay I totally do, but that's a different situation. (laughs) Um, Don't want to watch somebody else do it. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) About uh, an older sister who's taking care of a family in lieu of not having parents around. They come up with some issues with paying the bills. And I just find it interesting watching how she makes everyday things happen for the family. You know, she does this to get this, this to get this. But then this whole new situation arrives where she's going to lose the property because it's her dad. Jessup, I think his name is. Yep. Yep. Is uh, gone missing. The rumor is that, that he's dead, in which case he can't be there to pay accomplishment. Like she was nominated. She was, I think, the second youngest actress nominated for an Oscar at that point. She's 20 years old. And she's, she earned every bit of it. And the only reason I watched it that year was because, like I said, it it was on the Oscar list, and I was extremely... I bought it. I bought it on Blu-ray that year just to have it because I was that impressed with it. Did it premiere at Sundance that year, or did it just just show at Sundance? It won awards there, too. Yep. I'm not sure which ones. I think it won the overall. But thinking about the, the career trajectory, right, of, like, you do the Poker House, this, like, this movie that isn't terribly fun to watch, but how do you get to that next level where you get into a really good indie that's going to get a lot of eyes at one of the at the film festival circuit and that's going to raise your your profile pretty quick yeah one that she was initially like rejected for like she auditioned for this and they said no because she was too pretty she like came back uninvited on like a red eye walked to the audition and like they were like okay cool <laughs> and that's kind of how she got it well let's keep in mind she was also 20 playing 17 which isn't a huge stretch, but some people no. might be like, you're too old to be, I mean, you look way too. Mm-hmm. Which is crazy because some of her roles later, she's like 21 playing like 35. 
Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Craig, you always ask us sort of to do our, especially for the bigger actors, kind of our best, our favorite performance of theirs with their favorite movie. And this is both of both of them for her, for me. Oh, wow. Okay. It's not a bad choice. Huge fan of this movie and her performance is, is awesome. She commands the screen in every scene she's in. And yeah, just doing this as a 20-year-old is insane. She gets a high score for me just being in this movie and her performance in it. Just to have the knowledge of what it would take to make that kind of role. It's almost like you would have to have lived that. Yeah. Or had a director like telling you everything that you needed to do. But I, I have a feeling that neither one of those is true. She just... This movie does a really good job. And she does a really good job of portraying that lifestyle of the, of the Ozarks that we mentioned. That really just like destitute lifestyle that people go missing every day people die of drug overdoses every day like it's just like these people have nothing to live for and i thought that movie did a really good job of portraying that lifestyle well granik is good at this though that's who directed this she directed leave no trace a few years after this which is a great movie also oh yeah great movie it's, it's really good at that and i think because of that teaming someone who has such a clear grasp of how they want it to look and how they want it to feel it allowed Lawrence to kind of just do the thing she's really good at, which is to convey emotion and connect with audiences through that. Cause it's the, you connect with the struggle. She's conveying like the com- the complexity of her situation that she's conveying through that emotion. That's what you connect with mm-hmm. and you can connect with it easier because you're so immersed in what, what's going on. It's an incredible movie. 2011 brings us to that movie that Case talked about earlier, like crazy from tw- played Sam. This movie's incredible. What's it about? This one's a little harder to recommend because it's also like crazy, terribly sad. It's a theme for her early on. <laughs> she's probably in it for like five minutes, maybe. Okay. Five or 10 minutes. She's not in it for very long. Spoiler. Spoiler. It's just kind of a love story and it's more of a, it's more of a depressing one. It's just so well acted and so well shot, so well written that like, I just love this movie so much. It's great that she's in it. If if she was in it more, I'd probably say this is my favorite movie that she's done. Okay. I abs- I absolutely adore this movie. So, you know, if you're like me and you just want to be sad one day, watch this movie. It's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> We're back to the Beaver in 2011. She played Nora. There you go. Alongside Mel Gibson. Again, I saw it. I just I, again, I've never seen it. I don't know. Was this Mel Gibson's like first movie back from like from Hate and Juice? The hiatus that he took. For like five or six years, I feel like. I think it was. I want to say it was. It's directed by Jodie Foster. Don't forget that it was also hating black people. It was Jews and black people. So let's, let's not let him off the hook for all of his discretions. <laughs> the Beaver was his, uh, his following film. So right around there. She entered the X-Men universe in 2011. I don't think we need to spend a ton of time talking about it because Case has a wonderful review coming eventually, but I, let's talk a little bit about her character and maybe if any super fans on the pod want to talk about her approach to it. Yeah, so she plays Raven slash Mystique whose power is she's a shapeshifter, one of the one of the cooler X-Men powers in the universe. What made this movie fascinating, or actually kind of what made this entire trilogy fascinating was... Uh, it was done as like a pre-X-Men movie. So you kind of know how her storyline plays out. And this is showing how it begins. And so you know that eventually she becomes a bad guy. And I loved X-Men First Class and the following one. I thought they were both great. And I was a huge X-Men fan growing up, as we discussed with uh, our James Marsden episode. And I think this was like the first one that they did where I was like, wow, I 
think they did a great job with it, especially with uh, Michael Fassbender as Magneto. I thought he was fantastic. Oh, he's so good. You guys, I will reference this ranking several times throughout the night. This, according to MovieWeb.com, this is the third best X-Men movie. Oh, first. I bet I could guess. Dark Phoenix. No. X2, isn't it? It's not It's not Apocalypse. It's, yeah. it's Logan. First is Logan. Yeah, definitely Logan. Oh, Logan. Yeah. Logan is number one. Mm-hmm. X2 is number two, and then I'll save the rest for later. Yeah, save, save the rest. Yeah, save it, baby. Save it. I didn't cover the main part of her character, which is she, despite being a shapeshifter in her natural form, she essentially looks like a blue alien, and she's got bright red hair, blue skin, and X-Men used to lean heavily into the being discriminated against because we're different. And so there's playing a lot off of racism, and her character is one of the characters that is kind of going through the inner turmoil of, I could present myself as quote-unquote normal-looking person, and Magneto, who you know ends up being a bad guy, is like, why would you want to do that when you're so much better as your blue version? And so she is uh, probably put on about 12 hours worth of makeup a day for filming of this. Wow. Yeah. She plays that well. And I think that's one reason why the first two movies work so well. Like outside of just some of the other stuff that's going on, she plays that particular plot pretty well in the first two and after that, these movies are a disaster. The first two are really good. I said I was going to shut up after this, but I really want to thank her for this part because of all the fucking cosplayers we get at cons doing that costume. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, J-Law. Thank, you. thank the writers, you know? Thank the writers. Was Rebecca Stamos the other? Uh, Rebecca Romaine. She's now married to Jerry O'Connell. There was no Stamos yeah. involved. Fair. Oh, okay. Fair point. That's like the joke from Shallow How. Rebecca Romaine Stamos before she got Stamos. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Rebecca Romaine was the original Mystique. And it's funny in uh, one of the movies, they actually reference that. And Jennifer Lawrence is like, oh, would you like me if I was older? And she shapeshifts into Rebecca Romaine, who's obviously older than Jennifer Lawrence. That's hilarious. So in 2012, I mean, there's a lot. You go to Wikipedia, you can see tons of notes about entertainment magazines and people saying, hey, she's legit. She's important. She makes a lot of money. People love her. But the, one of the first big ones was in 2012 when Rolling Stone said she's the most, most talented young actress in America. Basically said, you have potential, young lady. And boy, were they right. Because that same year, they put her into the money-making machine that was the Hunger Games. She plays Katniss Everdeen alongside her boy Stanley Tucci, who's very, very, very prevalent in those films. But man, it's an entire four-film run, obviously based on the books, that is, she is the sole focus of the entire franchise. Dude, re-watching it, the first two movies are legitimately good movies, even if they're targeted for young adults. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed them. I thought they were very well put together. Cool post-apocalyptic kind of future. They set the stakes for you. And like almost immediately, there's like an emotional, you're in this with her. And I, th- I just thought it was great. I thought it was so well done. And I wanted to hate on it when it first came out. And then re-watching it, I've I pulled a complete 180. It is very good film series. I rewatched all four as well, James, and I thoroughly enjoyed the rewatch. Wow. I love these movies. I love the books. 
I've read the books multiple times, thought about them a lot. I mean, I do teach middle school kids, so I've talked about them a lot. Really high level intellectual conversations with my intensive reading students about just the deeper thematic elements of the Hunger Games are incredible. They casted this perfectly outside of the main like Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson is great. Stanley Tucci is great. Elizabeth Banks is great. Lady Kravitz is great. You get further in the movies. Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland. Donald Sutherland, yeah. Like Julianne Moore shows up in these movies. Mm -hmm. They went and got like great actors. And I think that's one thing that's always a differentiator with movies like this. Even if you look at like Harry Potter, you go get great actors and it's going to help make your movie great. Like the Maze Runner is corny as hell. It's just corny, those films. And it has to do with casting, writing and casting. Looks not terrible. Movies, terrible because <laughs> they don't work because of casting. <laughs> but also, I also thought like, which, what is it? Is it, did the movie make Jennifer Lawrence or did Jennifer Lawrence make the movie? And in the case of the Hunger Games, Jennifer Lawrence makes the movie. Because in the books, Katniss comes kind of the worst and she's a bit annoying. There's also just a ton of subtext. Like there's a ton of things that she's thinking and a lot of her turmoil is inner. A lot of what she's dealing with, a lot of the conflict is inner. And she's probably the best person to convey all of that conflict through emotion and through her face and through how she's dealing with it. So she brings the subtext alive in this movie and it makes it work, particularly in the first two. The reason why the last two aren't as good is because the last book wasn't as good. She makes it all work. These movies are as good as they are and as beloved as they are because Jennifer Lawrence is just killing this entire thing. Because even the people she's acting up against are not really killing it. Liam Hemsworth is not a star. Josh Hutcherson drives me up a, up a fucking wall in every role he's in. <laughs> mm-hmm. But she carries them. She like just literally is just like, hop on my back. We're going to make this work. And I think the first two movies are truly great. The only contribution I can make to the Hunger Games discussion is I've never seen one. You had your opportunity, man. I've had plenty of opportunities. You should have watched at least the first one. I watched the first one. I didn't see any of the other ones. Yeah, whatever. Did you hate the first one, Rigby? It was like the Avengers. Like I just saw it just to say I saw it and didn't care enough to watch any of the other ones that followed up after it. At least you gave it a shot. You gave one a shot. That's, that's, impo- that's important. Yeah. All right, she enters the Oscar winner category in 2012 Silver Linings Playbook alongside Chris Tucker, a film that won many awards. I think I covered this for the Chris Tucker episode. Sounds right. Of her movies, this is my favorite movie of hers. Nice. You wouldn't be alone. This is up there for me. We talked about casting. Like, we can't really go wrong with De Niro, Bradley Cooper. It's great. Even Chris Tucker is hilarious in this. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Jennifer Lawrence, obviously, very rewarding of her performance. She's great. And the chemistry between her and Bradley Cooper is phenomenal. They annoy the fuck out of me and each other, but somehow they make it work. So, yeah. I hate Eagles fans, so it's just hard to tolerate them. (laughs) Yeah. But kind of going back to what I said about Winter's Bone, that movie, this movie, I think does a really good job of portraying that sort of slice of life and that, you know, East Coast sort of working class, nothing better to do but to watch the watch the football game on Sundays and they kind of live and die for their team, that sort of thing. I think that this really works for this movie. It's a bold role choice. I mean, this is a pretty nuanced role, obviously. A woman was dealing with mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And you could, that can go either really well or it can be a hot-ass mess. But it's Jennifer Lawrence. She's just a stud. So she obviously killed it and won the Oscar because of it. Yeah, Who'd she compete against? Who, who'd, who'd she beat out? Jessica Chastain, maybe, for Zero Dark Thirty. She beat Jessica Chastain. She beat... 
Naomi Watts for The Impossible. I don't know how to say her name from Beasts of the Southern Wild. And Emmanuel Riva from Amor. Amor is a good movie. This is a really interesting Oscars year. It's a sad movie. Man, I recently watched Zero Dark Thirty, and for her to beat Chastain out, that's impressive. I don't want to kill the vibe, but Jessica Chastain probably should have won this award. No. And on discreet. Yes, I agree. I think Jennifer Lawrence is better, but that's your, you know. I, I definitely think Jennifer Lawrence should have an Oscar because that Hunter's Bone thinks she should have the Oscar for that. Man, Zero Dark Thirty. That's tough. So James is covering lowest critic score, which is House at the End of the Street. She plays Alyssa from 2012. House at the End of the Street, kind of a, it could have worked, I think. Um, but it is the lowest critic score. It's got a 12, which is pretty horrific. Audience score, 41%. Here's a quick synopsis. Jennifer Lawrence and her mother move into a large house in the suburb. Her mother is recently divorced, has a new job, hopes to you know, look for a new beginning. One reason they're able to afford this gigantic house is that their neighbors in the house at the end of the street were killed not too long ago by their own daughter. The house is now occupied by the dead couple's son, Ryan, who has been raised by an elderly aunt who's returned after the tragedy to take care of him. Uh, He's not well-liked by the neighbors, mostly because of how shitty he keeps the house and how much it drives the property value of the surrounding beautiful houses down. Uh, I thought that was interesting because you don't really hear that in horror movies. And I was like, well, that's a new concept. That could work. J-Law takes a liking to him as she's the new girl in town, but she's kind of embarrassed about it because her overprotective mother's uh, attitude towards it. And she's like, you always take in like kind of wounded animals and take them back to health. And this guy is clearly that example. This movie is not a 12%, but it's not good. I think probably a little bit lower than where the audience is, is where I would put it, uh, lower than a 40. The reason why is it's just not that scary. It's like a mixture of a couple movies. Like... It's got the uh, man on fire kind of style of editing where it's like grainy on purpose, flashbacks, cutscenes, And I think it wants, it thinks it's so much more clever than it actually is. Uh, So there's like a couple different twists and reveals and none of them are like land emotionally at all. I would say that Jennifer Lawrence is probably the only reason this movie is even watchable in the slightest bit is like we've said in all the other roles, she's great at what she's asked to do. I think she does a really good job as the angsty teen who doesn't want to listen to her mom, who's kind of flirting with the mysterious boy. But the movie itself is just like, it feels like a couple ideas put together and they're like, oh shit, yeah, we couldn't really edit this into a good movie. Let's just kind of uh, put it out there. I would say she did well. I think it's just a poorly written and uh, directed movie. James? Yeah, dude, you kind of nailed it. There's one thing I would challenge you on, and that is, was her mother overprotective or the right amount of protective? Well, yeah. <laughs> spot on. There's nothing surprising about this movie. Uh-uh. As it develops, you're like, oh, yeah, I knew that. Oh, yeah. I knew he was the guy. Oh, yeah, I knew his sister. Oh, yeah, I knew she would be down there. Oh, yeah. Every single thing that they do is predictable. It's like they never met a cliche. They didn't. It's almost like a Michael Bay movie, almost. I would agree, like, with the weird editing like that. I also watch this movie, and I concur with Dr. James. <laughs> I will say it's not the worst Jennifer Lawrence movie I watched for this. That title would be taken by The Devil You Know. But this was damn close, because The Devil You Know is so unbelievably corny. 
Well, you guys are telling people don't watch this film, is what you're saying. Yeah, there's so many other good movies of hers you can watch. This is not one of them. I don't know if you're if you're lazy like me and you don't want to change a channel. Well, just watch it. That's what I did. That's fair. I would tell the public to watch this movie and laugh at it. <laughs> Dave, you seem to find these f- films for our episodes where somebody does something unrealistic in a school. Because in your Daryl Hannah review, remember Homeboy came riding in in his dirt bike and motorcycle and picked her up? Look <laughs> <Yeah>. at <laughs> like what happened. These are important things to clarify. You're doing the Lord's work. These are important <laughs> things to clarify. These are not how schools work, guys. Right. The next Hunger Games film in 2013. So speaking of really good casting, Philip Seymour Hoffman enters the universe in 2013. <laughs> no big deal. Probably the goat just shows up in a Hunger Games movie. <laughs> right. Just shows up out of nowhere. You think he's, you know, the baddie. And then it turns out he's part of the uh, the rebel forces. And that's cool because he wanted to root for Philip Seymour Hoffman. So that was fun. And then Jeffrey Wright is in that film as well. I mean, they, they bring on some other just banger, just incredible actors and just continue to amp it up. Saw this movie in theater. There was one dude who I think was there with his kid who had no idea what was happening. The movie ends because this movie ends on a cliffhanger. He just literally stands up and goes, what the fuck? And walks out. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) American Hustle. 2013, she got Oscar, Golden Globe, and SAG noms, her third, and won the BAFTA for her role as Rosalind, somebody who... I don't know. She's just like an infuriating character on screen. A yeah. Lot of the time. Yeah. This movie has so many infuriating characters. And it's weird. Like, I really like this movie. I saw it in theaters, uh, I think, with the day it came out, which was like Christmas 2013. I went with three people. I really liked it. And the three people that I went with, we usually have similar tastes in movies. They all hated it. And I could never really figure out why. And then I figured out that, like, everybody else I talked to didn't like this movie either. And that always kind of bothered me because it's like what's wrong with my taste (laughs) i really enjoyed it i thought it was a fun just a fun movie performances were all great jennifer lawrence was awesome got a 90 meta score so it's it's up there when she collaborates with david or russell he's like seems to be trying to push her Mm -hmm. do something really different yep it's a kind of role that i don't think would have seen her do up to this point her presence in this movie is compelling enough I think it's a good point too. The 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 back to back David O. Russell connections with another one coming down the road here. Yep, they're all really different. Back case. In an interview, she said she got inspiration from the Jersey Shore TV show. Oh yeah, you can tell the accent for sure. <laughs> Did she get inspiration from Jersey Shore Shark Attack? That's what I really want to know. <laughs> Not that I could research. Mm. I don't think she's reached that level of greatness yet. No, no, none of us have. Yeah, that's a fact. <laughs> Great story that it's based on, too, Abscam. If you don't know anything about it, just uh, how these mm-hmm. FBI agents basically scam their way into politicians collecting bribes by disguising themselves as, like, Arab sheiks. Super interesting. I will say I saw some interviews where she talked about some of these actors she worked with. She said the most impressive actor she's worked with in her career is Christian Bale. She said his ability to go from being a completely different person when the camera turns on from before is just unmatched, which is not shocking. Yeah. I mean, I buy that his ability to gain and lose 150 pounds in between roles is also incredible too. Yep. Some little insight on the industry there. Apparently she's like somewhat similar to him though. Yes. She's like, just like reading random books on the set of mother just hops right into whatever she's doing. Like it, she's not too dissimilar to that. Maybe not as extreme, but. I would agree. Another X-Men 
role in X-Men Days of Future Past, and so a couple more months and crossovers there, and Elliot Page and Halle Berry. Again, these films just keep adding good actors and actresses to the to the pile there. I was mistaken earlier. This is actually number two, because mm-hmm. the list I, w- I wanted to work off, it was the Rotten Tomato list. So this mm-hmm. is the number two ranked X-Men film. I think that's appropriate. I, I like X-Men Days of Future Past. Good movie. I'm no expert, but this movie... Just its ambition alone, like what they're trying to accomplish, what they do accomplish by essentially resetting and rewriting a mm-hmm. timeline to allow a franchise to keep going. Like it's a clever way to do to do a thing to do an IP. Yeah. Just wipe it all out at the end. Mm-hmm. We're just going to bring everybody in and we're just going to start over. Well, it's what comics have been doing for decades. So they just decided to do it on film. Why is nobody else doing it? <laughs> <laughs> like we, there's a blueprint here. I mean, I imagine it's incredibly hard. So, like, there's that. I imagine it's really hard because this movie definitely shouldn't work. But they made it. They pulled this one off expertly. It's and she's a really big part of it too. Mm-hmm. It seemed like her role grew for obvious reasons between this one, between the first one and this one. Jazz, I think she said on one interview that she didn't even know she was supposed to do until like after the movie, the first movie had come out. She thought she signed a contract for one X-Men movie and it was really for three. <laughs> she didn't even know. Should, should probably check with your agent there. Yeah. He was just like, oh, it's a job. So I took it. <laughs> I mean, there could be worse movies to sign a three year contract on or three movie contract for. That's for sure. I guess that's true. You're not wrong about that. Rigby, are you referring to the Now You See Me franchise? <laughs> no, I was more referring to the... <laughs> 2014, she plays Serena in Serena. Tell me about this one. I didn't get to see it. I didn't either, to be completely honest. I know it's a lot, another Bradley Cooper collab, so I think her third one. I didn't see this one either. This is one of like her four, one of four movies of hers I think I haven't seen. Wow. And it's partly because I've heard from everyone that it's really bad including my wife, who was like, she watched it and was like, don't even bother. <laughs> glowing recommendation. Glowing. I mean, eventually I'm going to, because I'm this close to seeing them all, so I might as well. You got time this summer. That's, that's so true. Thank you for reminding me, because I love to just be reminded that I've got nothing to do tomorrow. Hi, baby. <laughs> okay. Then the aforementioned Mockingjay parts one and two. And again, speaking to adding great actors, Mahershala Ali comes into the picture in these ones as well in both of these films. So lots of good Munson's kind of creeping into the Hunger Games world. I wanted these movies to be so good. <laughs> just, I like them. They just don't work. Never read it. So I, I enjoyed them perfectly fine. But I imagine if you read the books, it's probably a different experience. They shouldn't have broke them up into two. It's a lot. I think if you like the first two movies, you'll like the last one. It ends the way you kind of would want it to. The bar was set so high. It's hard to kind of match that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a drop off in quality. Mm-hmm. You're comparing it against itself when the first two are so good. Well, she gets a, a fourth Oscar nom in 2015 alongside our boy Edgar Ramirez in Joy. She plays Joy again. The lead actress, the story revolves around her and talk about emoting her way through a film. Mm-hmm. That scene when she storms back in to Bradley Cooper out of nowhere and just lays just lays it all out there. She's just so impressive. I think this movie is like kind of uniquely underrated. I think it got written off at the time as like, oh, Jennifer Lawrence is great. She got an Oscar nomination, but the movie's whatever. This movie's really good. I really like this movie. We talked about, I think 
maybe last episode or the episode before that, this this was the year that a lot of good movies came out. <clears throat> there was a lot of hype for this around Christmas. Yeah, like The Big it. Short, Spotlight, Revenant, and like I just I just think it kind of got overshadowed by a lot of those because I yeah I like Joy and I loved her performance in this. It was a great film year, and so it just got a crappy timing. True story. That's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Man, I didn't realize until we started talking that her and Bradley Cooper worked together so many damn times. This is number four, I think. The best X-Men film of the bunch, X-Men Apocalypse 2016 there. Came. No? Okay. Sorry. Nope. Agree to disagree. I'm, I'm kidding, guys. I hope you're kidding. I was like, hang up. Kidding, kidding guys. <laughs> Oscar, Oscar, okay. number 11 on the Rotten Tomatoes ring. And then Passengers 2016, a movie we talked about a few times. Chris Pratt, Michael Sheen. I like Passengers. We've covered now three of the four actors in the film. So whenever Fishburne comes around, we'll finish that one off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kyle, this is my first time watching Passengers. And you did it. Yeah, I finally got around to watch it. And I got to say, I don't know why so many people hated it. I thought it was fine. I think it gets a little cheesy at the end, but that's okay. I thought it was pretty good up until that point. That's just for passengers. Yeah. It's cheesy. Uh It's definitely cheesy. It's a good time. But I thought it was a unique story, and it's a little bit more layered than you'd expect. And I don't know why people know it. There's probably something around that time that explains it, is my guess, because it was pretty much universal reviews. This is what I don't understand. This movie is the human psyche in Carnage. Any one of you guys is Chris Pratt. We're fucking waking her up. Yeah. Uh, we're walking around that entire ship and we're going, oh, that, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> that's the one I'm going to wake up. Now, the sad thing is, if I'm the one that wakes her up, she's like, it's me. I mean, she gets Chris, Chris <laughs> Pratt. But if it's me, she's like a whole lot madder, a whole lot more depressed the whole time. But I'm just like... I was trying to think how long it would take for me before I fucking off myself in Chris Pratt's situation, and I would have been gone well before a year. Michael Sheen, the robot, can only keep you so entertained at a certain point. You're like, all right, that's enough. Yeah, bro. <laughs> no chance. It's got a 41 Metascore, so critics were not a huge fan of this, but I think it, I think it holds up pretty well. Made pretty good money, though. Mm-hmm. It made pretty good money. Oh, yeah. Not as much as they probably were predicting. Well, if we're going to be on this uh, theme of films that are controversial with audiences and critics, boy, what a transition here to our largest critic app, which is her role as mother and mother. A Razzie-nominated role from 2017. Bullshit. Yeah. So, so Rigby's got this, and also note that Rigby, talk about the Aronofsky connection as well in there. So around this time, she actually is, starts dating the director of the movie, Darren Aronofsky who, if you don't know anything about Aronofsky, he's a brilliant filmmaker, but he's also a very, very, very weird dude. If you've ever seen Requiem for a Dream, Black Swan, those are the kind of movies that you watch and you're just like, what What did I just sit through two hours of? Because I need to dissect this. The Fountain, that's another one. Even Noah, you know, a, a biblical story that we all know, he makes that freaking strange and weird. Mother is... And you mentioned, Kyle, uh, a movie that divided critics and audiences in 2017. I saw it the day, the weekend it came out uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm pretty sure everyone in the theater was like, what the hell did I just spend $12 (laughs) on and waste two and a half hours on? Because 
I'm glad I went during the matinee because if I had gone at night, I would have felt like I had wasted my evening. I'll keep it short because I know we probably have a lot to say about this movie, but mother Jennifer Lawrence plays a woman uh, married to Javier Bardem living in the countryside. You don't really know where it is. It's just supposed to be isolated. Uh, they're supposed to have this kind of quaint lifestyle when all of a sudden their quaint existence is interrupted by Ed Harris and a seemingly endless supply of very dark, sinister, weird, funny, bizarre characters that never really seem to leave the rest of the movie. You don't really know what's going on in Jennifer Lawrence's psyche in the movie. You don't really know what's real, what's not. Her relationship with Javier Bardem is very strange because he's very controlling. She's trying to go against that. There's a lot of themes that can go with this movie. I don't know what they are. I never will understand it. It's kind of like Tree of Life. I could probably watch it 10 times and still not be able to describe it to you in a well thought out manner. So, so I don't make a fool of myself. I'm just going to stop there because this movie was bizarre. <laughs> Some people call it genius. Some people call it the most ridiculous two hours they've ever spent in a movie theater. I probably lean more towards the latter. I don't really think it's genius because I just can't really appreciate it for what it is, but I guess I could listen honestly to the, to the people who do think that way i wish warren was here for this moment yeah because i know warren had a lot of hard opinions on mother this would be like tree of life for warren he would be yep. like yeah he'd hate it he hates it i know he does yeah what i like about mother is this is like art in its purest form because it's all an allegory and you could make the case it's either about mother nature or it's it's a religious allegory yep so what you're watching is not actually anything of what you're you're watching and you have to be in the mood for that kind of film experience and a lot of people just went in not expecting that I don't think or at least didn't do the research and became out very disappointed but if you go in knowing you're going to watch an allegory then I think it becomes a really interesting watch I understand that people hate it I didn't hate it I didn't love it but I was in like the 7 range Oh wow that's high yeah, it's higher than the critics. Sixty-eight percent for the critics. Yeah, I just and she was she was really good. Like she, you, you definitely you sympathize for her because talk about obnoxious, ridiculous characters. I mean, these people literally just like won't leave her alone. It's like the scene in Freddy Got Fingered when the baby with the is being swung around by the umbilical cord. It's like what's going on here? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I probably would have rather preferred Freddie Got Fingered over Mother, to be honest with you. But that's neither here nor there. Wow. You bite your tongue, sir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for as good a cat, I, I love Ed Harris. Ed Harris is in some of my favorite movies. Bardem, Javier Bardem, too. Just can't really get behind this one. I get what it's trying to do. It just didn't, I just didn't work for me. That's where I was when I first watched this. I remember then in the theater, I was, I had a really hard time with this. Yeah, the rewatch changed me, though. I'm all in. Interesting. <laughs> I'm all in. I think you kind of, I think what I was personally, what I was trying to do the first time was just trying to figure it out. Like I was trying to interpret like in everything, every single thing that was happening, I was trying to piece it together. It kind of, that's what I think frustrated me. So this time I kind of just went in knowing that it was an allegory. She says that she's very explicit of being like, this is about mother nature. Yeah. She she even says like Darren Aronofsky is like it is whatever you want it to be da 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 it's not about anything but she's like this is about Mother Nature so even if you go in with just that that works a lot better for me I also was very intrigued by the religious allegory or parallels that it's trying to draw there I kind of respect its ambition I love the performances 
very ambitious. I'm with you. I mean, it's, I know we, I know we use that word a lot and that word, that word's used a lot in sort of the Hollywood bad word, but I I agree. It's, I think this is how you're supposed to use it in terms of ambition because it's a ridiculous idea. Like they don't, if I remember the marketing of this movie, it doesn't cue you in on it being an olive. No, what it's about. That's what's brilliant. No, I don't watch trailers for it to be this really deep, like full fledged, fully committed allegory starring the biggest movie star in the world at the time, probably. Mm -hmm. I think that's the way ambitious is probably the best way to describe it. I think anytime you look at something that's like almost purely allegorical, you have to give some leeway in its plotting and some leeway in its mechanics, because I feel like honestly, you either have to be there when they're making it or watch it a hundred times to fully get it. It works for me. Religious stuff works because like, I just, that's how I grew up religious. Like, it's complete. Hmm. I don't feel like they could have left it or like left anything out. It's just, I get where some people hate would hate it. Hmm. I'm not one of those. I'm like a high six, like six, eight, six, nine on this film. I enjoyed it. I mean, I watched it for this show. It was the first time I'd seen it. From a concept execution standpoint, I think he nails it. And that's that's yeah. what you try to judge the merits of a film on. It could be the dumbest movie in the world, but if it's sought to be a stupid fucking movie, mm-hmm. right? Like, Grandma's Boy doesn't pretend to be an Oscar-winning film. It it seeks to be an aggressively dumb film, and that's why I like it, right? See, that's where when he said Freddy got fingered, I was like, Freddy got fingered, set out to do something, and it didn't get there. <laughs> <laughs> You're wrong. James always gives the hottest opinions on Razzie nominations, and I was going to ask James if he thought the Razzie nom is earned in this film, or if he just thinks people hated it, so they just nominated her for it. I think I watched every one of her movies outside of Causeway and this one. You missed out. Causeway's awesome. And her performance is... She's incredible in the film. I think this might be her best performance. It might be because she is so emotionally bought into the the trauma of her baby and the experience and it being taken away from her. You feel like you feel her pain and her frustration because yeah. yeah. these people are just like so absurd, so ridiculous. It starts early. God, that's acting. That's why the Razzie makes no sense to me. It's because people hated the movie and that they just this is what they do. They Razzie nominate people. Got them a ton of attention. Even if you like look at the the early on, the early aspects of it when they're like. When Ed Harris first gets there, Michelle Pfeiffer first gets there, it's the tension of just having a house guest being really rude, doing things that are really uncomfortable. Yeah. She conveys that and creates a really like palpable tension just in that. I was uncomfortable watching her be uncomfortable by what was happening mm-hmm. to the point where like they would go, they would cut to Michelle Pfeiffer and I would get tense. Because I know she was about to do something crazy, and it was going to make Jennifer Lawrence more uncomfortable. This it's it's incredible work by her. In defense of the uh, Razzies, mother was really their first chance to take a shot at her. So that's true. I saw a chance, and they took it. We take her down while we can. Yeah, that's a fair point. Also, it's like a clout thing, right? You're like, oh, this super famous actress right now is in a bad movie. Please click on our website. They just miss Serena. just a few more roles to talk about so in 2018 red sparrow she plays dominica kind of a a spy film spy i like this movie same i like this movie i liked her in it 
I thought this was a really cool role choice for her. I don't know if it was executed the way that anybody wanted it to be. But I thought this was a damn cool idea, and I love seeing her as a Russian spy. That kicked ass. When you made as much money as she did, you can be real picky with your roles, too. Yeah. He speaks really high about this one. Everybody in the world wants her in their movies. Mm -hmm. Yet the roles that she takes, by and large, she crushes. And it's not her fault when the end product comes out terrible. Mm -hmm. I agree. I commend her for the choices that she's made, because she's tried to dabble in a little bit of everything. Like science fiction, fantasy, you know, serious drama, comedy, and she's good at all of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's reward her aesthetically now by just saying, "Nice, nice job!" Not taking every piece of shit movie <laughs> that's out. I agree with that. This movie, I think this movie's underrated. Also, yeah, totally underrated. It's a bit long. I think this is the rare time that a story would have been. Better off as a mini series in a movie. I think my problem with it is that it all feels a bit rushed. I agree. Yeah, it goes from prima ballerina to like top tier assassin in like an hour, and it's just like, all right, I need a little bit more time. But like, other than that, and her Russian accent, which is not great, I'm I'm in on this movie. It's pretty good. Got a great cast too. I mean, top to bottom, some really talented actors in this movie. You're 100% nailed that, though. This on, like, a Disney Plus miniseries would have been way better to yeah. flush out those things. This on Disney Plus would have been wild. <laughs> <laughs> they have that parental advisory component to it. You could do it. 2018, she started dating Cook Maroney, got married, I believe, in 2019, and they've since had a son named Cy, I believe. C-Y. And so she's explains the lack of roles that she's taken on the last few years because she become a mom and adjusting to that new normal. She officially died to me in 2018. <laughs> no longer single, no longer on the market. Yeah. Yep. For you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know anything about the guy other than I think he's an art director. Yeah, he's a, a normal person, which means we all had a chance, you know. Yeah, her variety like uh, lie detector interview, they asked her like, would you date somebody normal? She's like, yes. You can, and that ties pretty closely to her personality of like not really being interested in the, the glitz and glam of things. She's a goofball and a regressively normal human. Do we have we even talk about the fact that she tripped on her way to win her Academy Award, which is like the most like ate some serious shit. It's like the most humbling thing about her is that like she just and she laughed it off. And like most people would be so embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I love that about her. It was very funny, too, because everyone gave her, like, a standing ovation. And then, like, the first thing she said when she got to the mic was, like, you're just doing that because I fell. Like, stop it. (laughs) Let's hear, as we move to our last review, if Craig Case highly recommends that people check out 2019's Dark Phoenix, her last entry in the X-Men universe for now. A movie with Jessica Chastain as well. A Munson crossover. Case, what you got? For both of them, this is their worst movies. <laughs> Isn't this the last installment of of the X Men films? Period. Now Logan came after this, right? Didn't Logan come after? Oh, Logan was before this, wasn't it? Yeah, Logan yeah, was before I, this. This is it. Not until they reboot in like twenty twenty seven after Phase Six. If we're still doing a podcast in my sixties, then uh, then I'll rethink some of these these ratings. But this movie's awful. I'm I'm not a giant X Men film critic fan. 
Uh, I enjoyed some of the earlier movies, but this is a 2019 release. Like I said, it is the final installment of the X-Men. And uh, for those keeping score at home, out of the 14 movies rated on Rotten Tomatoes, this is number 14 as the worst X-Men movie. Well-deserved. There. It is well-deserved. Basic plot about this movie, the uh, red-headed gal from Game of Thrones. Sophie Turner. Sophie Turner. Yeah, she was incredibly popular, and they wanted to get her in an X-Men movie, I'm thinking. So they gave her this story. And she it's, it's basically the Jean Grey origin movie. Yep. Jennifer Lawrence, while trying to talk Jean Grey down from a... Spoil it. Spoil it. P- do it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. PTSD experience. Uh, she's killed at the one-hour mark, and we no longer see her in the rest of the movie. No, she's brutally murdered. That's that's the way to put it. She's impaled by uh, whatever. <laughs> she's murdered. Anyways, if I'm being true, trying to give some insight into this film, I think this film is important in this character's arc because it's the moment where she becomes not part of the X-Men and she she's going to end up getting in. Her Magneto had been playing into her sensibilities from like at the first movie by far. So she was always leaning that way. Uh, but I have no idea because I refuse to watch this movie. I have no idea how she makes it. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how she comes back to, to life. I thought Days of Future Past reset all this. I guess it maybe like did. They were, we're seeing a new timeline of things. And wipe that timeline too? I don't know. The X-Men timeline is confusing. There's several reasons that this movie didn't do well. Partly the discussion we're having. Second, it was put out against... Captain Marvel, which critically wasn't received <laughs> terribly well, but it certainly had a lot more hype. Like a billion dollars. The other critical response to this movie is this is a $200 million budget, which is her largest film budget, and the movie looks cheap. The production value on this movie isn't great. It suffered from a lot of what we've dealt with in other movies with a ton of rewrites, a ton of reshoots. It's just not a very good movie, and that's all I got to say. That's all I got to say about that. <laughs> I do like the Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy stuff. I agree. Yeah, I mean, they, they play chess at the end. I don't hate this movie. It's not good, but I don't hate this movie. Not an abomination. This film's like biggest problem is its lead. I don't think Sophie Turner is who you, this movie around. Nope, not a good cast. When she's in Apocalypse and she's doing like a side tier thing, it's fine. She's got to do... She's got to do a lot in this. She kind of crumbles under the weight of it. Also, Jessica Chastain, surprisingly not good. Nope. The storyline, that storyline's kind of poop anyways. I really feel like they kind of shot her in the foot. Mm-hmm. Don't emote or have any emotions or reasons for doing anything. Oh, action. Yeah, whatever. It wasn't good. Fuck this movie. <laughs> I was going to say, you could also tell that like Jennifer Lawrence was pretty much fucking over being an X-Men at a certain point because it went from like she's sitting in like eight hours of makeup, 12 hours of makeup to being like they put on essentially like a blue wetsuit and was, gave her a red wig and she's like, I don't want to do this shit anymore. Stop painting me. Yeah. So she's like, can you guys write me in to die in this movie? Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Cool. Yeah, she's like, I don't want to be here anymore. Oh, that script looks great. I will say <laughs> in a positive turn on this movie, I thought Raven's choice 
of shape-shifting into Jennifer Lawrence for most of her time in the movie was brilliant. Yeah, it, <laughs> so that was like a plot point in the first ones, and it was clearly like a production point in the last few, where it was like, I don't want to be blue anymore, so I'm just going to be a normal-looking person. Yeah, good choice. All right, two last roles to talk through. Two biggies. Um, well, in two different ways. So, first and foremost, Don't Look Up plays Kate, the over-the-top, over-emotional scientist alongside Leo DiCaprio, Tyler Perry, uh, and she got SAG and Golden Golden Noms for her role, and I think she's excellent in this film. Yeah, I agree. She's great. I don't like this movie very much. I hated it. It's too real? It's just too real. It's like, nah, this is... I felt like it, it went too far in the parody, and it became like, like a snake eating its own tail a bit. Or it was like a hat on a hat, basically. She plays into none of that, right? She yeah, is she purely the insane person in the movie is trying to tell the truth, the, trying to get them to take everything seriously. The first half of this movie, I really like. And now I think about it, she's like the only character who doesn't lean into the parody element in any way, shape, or form. Now I think about it. Fair point, nonetheless. I appreciated elements of the film. Like, I liked Kate Blanchett and Tyler Perry's, like, agreed Fox News banter. Yeah. You know, we're not going to take anything seriously. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill made me laugh a bunch of times. I thought they were hysterical. That Fox News parody was the best part of the movie, I thought. Jonah Hill being the, uh, what, the son? What was he? He's the son to the president. That was fucking hilarious. He leaves his ass behind at the end. (laughs) He was good. I will give you that. I was like, like, all right, what a stupid way to end a stupid movie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I thought it was so funny when Jonah Hill was like, oh no, it's the worst thing ever. We're going to make so much money. This is terrible. <laughs> yeah, I think watching it outside of the Trump era makes it a little bit better. When you watch it inside the Trump era, it's it just comes with like a whole different context that drives you nuts. So that's mm-hmm. what I'll say. Why is that? Because you're no longer in that environment where you're like, I could fucking see this happening right now. <laughs> if this shit happened, like this would be real. And I think separating yourself from that for a different kind of crazy, but just not that kind, is better. So it feels more like a parody than a commentary on our current situation. That was my realization. But um, And then finally, the, the last role that James apparently didn't want to watch, because it's really good, uh, is Causeway. Plays Lindsay alongside a, uh, an Oscar-nominated performance from Brian Tyree Henry. No, it's not that I didn't want to watch it. It's that I watched literally like all 30 <laughs> other movies of hers. I know, I know. This is like right up Aubrey's alley. It's a character piece, two people, small town, you know, not huge stakes. It's and it's it's a, it's a really good drama. Very thoughtful. Awesome. It's it gives you a lot to think about. You see a lot in the characters. It's written beautifully. And I know this is a Jennifer Lawrence podcast, but <laughs> Brian Tyree Henry fucking kills in this movie. Yep. When I watch, anytime I watch him act, I want to say really hyperbolic things about how good he is and how talented he is. He was great in the Chucky movie. He was awesome in that. <laughs> He's good at everything. He just shows up in Barry Jenkins movie and is like the best part of that. He's he's an incredible actor. I, he's incredible, and I'm not going to say anything hyperbolic right now. Jennifer Florence is also really good alongside of him. She does a lot of what I like in an actor, where it's a lot of quiet stuff. And you, she's conveying a lot of deep, complex emotion without saying a whole. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To me, that's a thing that I find 
really difficult for any person to do, any actor to do. And it's to me, it's it makes for a much a much more strong connection with the character and with what the character is going through. And she just excels at that. And it's 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 a phenomenal movie that just got buried on Apple TV Plus. Please go watch this movie. Yeah, because she's a soldier who experienced a pretty traumatic brain injury, comes back. Basically, like most of the movie, she wants to go back overseas because that's the norm for her. So you're like, that's nah, a bad fucking idea. Don't do that. So Brian Tyree Henry is kind of like you in that instance. Be like, no, 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 that's that's really not smart. Which plays into so many other themes, like just like, why does she feel this way? Why does she feel obligated to go back? Why is like, why is it so deeply ingrained in her to go back? What traumas like mm-hmm. there causing her to want? Is so much more there. She's really good in it. It's a great movie. I'm suffering from massive recency bias. This is actually my favorite role of hers. Ooh, I've told multiple people to watch this movie. I'm like, she's incredible. This is my favorite role of her. Again, it's probably because it's the last one I saw. And I didn't know anything about it, and it floored me. So that's the other half of my selections tonight. That's a glowing recommendation right there. I love that. That's a great transition, because we've reached the top of the mountain, and it's time for top performances. And since that's your favorite, let's see where it lines up on Rigby's list that he pulled. Bring it, Rigby. The list I pulled, sorry, Craig, it's actually pre-Causeway. It's from October 2022. Sorry. This sucks. (laughs) Yeah, this is The Guardian. Uh, It's actually... 20 movies that they rank, but we're just going to do the top 10. And it is it is numerical, and I will say they dash all of her franchise movies together. So the X-Men's, the Hunger Games, all those are together. So does this include TV show? Uh, no. No chance. That's on there. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> the Bill Engvall show? <laughs> I just want dibs on the Hunger Games. Actually, I'm sorry, Craig. Causeway is on here. I'm sorry. Here we go. I uh, My mistake. My mistake. It must have came out in conjunction with it. Aubrey's got Hunger Games on the board, and I have Causeway on the board. So Causeway, Craig, is number nine, so not number one. And Hunger Games is number five. And they say that the first Hunger Games is the best one. That's their 5.1. This is So it's interesting. <laughs> they, they rank them like 5.1, 5.2. Yeah. The Guardian's wrong. I'm feeling pretty good that Mother is going to be a top three on there. Love that. It is number three, Kyle. You'd be right. I love that. Joy. Silver Lining Playbook. That's probably one and two. Silver Lining's Playbook is four. Oh. And Joy is six. Oh. Winner's Bone. That's one. Winner's Bone is number one. Good call, Aubrey. Which is why I selected this list, because I agree with it. <laughs> Poker House? Uh, nope. I bet two is American Hustle. There you go, Kyle. Oh, good call. And I bet number five is Don't Look Up. Now. No, five is Hunger Games. Oh, okay. Well, number six or whatever the closest one to that is. Whatever we're missing. Don't Look Up is not in the top 10. That is number 14 on their list. X-Men's probably in there. X-Men is number seven, yeah. Uh, and they say that Days of Future Past is the best one that she's in. There we go. You need Passengers at 10. Yeah. Passengers, nope. Passengers is number 12 on their list. Sparrow? Red Sparrow's number 10. Uh, like Crazy is probably on there. And Like Crazy is number 8. And that wraps up go. your top 10. Like Crazy is number 8? Wow. So what was the top three again? It was Winner's Bone, American Hustle, and Mother. Yep. I don't like that. American Hustle. I don't know if I love <laughs> that either. American Hustle's not a top tour for me. That might trip the top five. No. This list uh, singled out this performance because... They said it's not 
it's the kind of wacky comic performance that she isn't often allowed to do. I get so, that. I think yeah, yeah. I think Joy over that though. Like Joy is a better. I loved her performance in American Hustle. I did too. I thought she was great as like the toxic and insane wife. Yeah. Picking a top of three for her is really hard. And I think that's a testament to the work that she's done. I'm like trying to figure out what my top three would be. And it's hard. Yeah. It would be one of those where it's different for everybody you ask. I really think it would be if also we don't have time to do that. But I'm like, for me, it's probably like Silver Linings Mother and Winter's Bone, I guess. I don't know. That's it's just hard. Winter's Bone, Hunger Games, Causeway for me. That's what I mean. Like completely different. <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Hunger Games will be in mind for sure. That's the small sample size you needed to see. All right, well, let's get into the Munson meter. What we do, we rate every actor on a scale of zero to 100 based on a variety of factors. Uh, that could be anything from longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, personal life, comedic chops, box office success, or anything else that matters to us as Munsons. So, Aubrey. So, Jennifer Lawrence is. Just an actor that I think about a lot. I've seen almost all of her movies. Someone that, like, in our house, we love a lot. She's great in interviews. She's, like, a great celebrity. That quality of being, like, every person. She feels like someone. This is the old, like, presidential thing they used to say, where it's like, that's a person I want to have a beer with. That's yep. what it's like. Like, Jennifer Lawrence, if you, feel like you, if you met her, you feel like you could actually talk to her, and it would be a normal interaction. Her choices are impeccable. She has navigated her career really well. It seems like it's still like she's still doing that because even some of the bad movies, the choices still made sense. So she's good at that. And then when it comes down to where I rate most of my uh, my actors out on this is with what I actually see on screen. She can do literally everything. She's like a flawless performer. And so when I look at her career and I look at the scale of what it is that she can do, she can do every genre. She can do anything that she's asked of. Um, she does big movies. She does small movies. She does bigger performances, smaller performances, supporting lead. She carries everything. I, I look at her batting average and it's just one of those where I go, how many people have a higher batting average than she does? I think that it's very few, if any. To me, that puts her in the annals of like, some of the greatest people that do this. Wesley Snipes from Major League might have a higher batting average than her, though. When you think about it. <laughs> Stop it. But when you think about like why like you would not want to put her in that conversation, it's because she's so young. To me, she's one of the best I've ever seen do this because she just continually puts it out over and over again. And so hyperbolic as all that is, I i put her up near about as high as I can go. I'd say 97. 97? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, it's got to be one of, one of your highest, if not the highest. It's my highest for sure. Okay. All right, let's go. Much spec, much spec, much spec. Mm-hmm. How do I follow that? Okay, so I love her as a human off screen. I think she's very genuine. She's very funny. She's always entertaining in her interviews. I love that. She just seems very down to earth. I saw something. I always like learning like what their favorite movies are, what directors they like. And her favorite movie of the past like five years is Hereditary. So that's like that's big points for me. She wants to work with Ari Aster, so I think we might see her in the horror like that conscious horror genre, which I think she would excel in. That'd be fantastic. Um, I'm gonna give her a couple points just because I know I'm gonna love her and No Hard Feelings. This comedy that's coming out tomorrow. 
she's been saying she wants to do a comedy like that for a while and she's finally getting a chance to do it she's producing the film and i think she's gonna absolutely murder it so i'm excited for that i'm gonna pull a few points because she's a self-proclaimed reality show enthusiast and trash till it you know i'm just being funny here not really love reality tv <laughs> i gotta find something to knock around but uh and the fact she's the youngest actor to earn three oscar noms i mean she's gotten four in her very short time and she gives a ton of money to charity if you go to her wikipedia i mean it's just organization after organization that she gives back to she made a lot of money so she got money to give i'm not gonna go as high as aubrey but i think an 80 is a very fair score for her considering where she's at in her career and what she's accomplished uh, next we have james in regards to the awards, you can't get much better, especially a better start to a career than what she's had. Uh, I think by the time her career is over, um, I don't think this pace is sustainable, but she's done it so far. So obviously, if she can keep doing that, we might be talking about one of the greatest to ever do it. But up, up until this point, I am incredibly impressed. I think she's been great in every role that I've seen her in, with the exception of probably mailing it in in the last Mystique roles for X-Men. She does a ton for charity. Uh, she's extremely down to earth it's just an easy person to root for and an enjoyable actress to watch um i loved her in american hustle i thought she played uh, a psychopath from long island who's disconnected from reality so well even though she's only in a few scenes i thought she stole every scene that she was in I'm excited for this new movie coming out. Uh, interestingly about it is she started filming this movie, No Hard Feelings, where she is essentially the uh, sex symbol of the movie eight months after she gave birth, which is incredibly impressive. Everything I've seen her and I've enjoyed, and I'm glad we got to cover. I'm going to... The only points I'm... Honestly, the only points I'm knocking for is because of longevity, and it's because she's young. And even then, I'm giving her a great score. I'm going to give her an 83. All right, Dames, our guest Munson. All right, guys. She's a powerhouse in every sense of the word. The amount of material she's given us in a 15-year like, span is I can't think of anybody aside of maybe Jack Nicholson who gave us that much quality material in that short of a time. And speaking of that, he, he approached her once at a ceremony and said, you look like a girl I used to date. And... That's when you see the real Jennifer Lawrence, because she was like, oh, my God. If you haven't seen the clip, look it up. He's, she basi he's basically like asking her out, <laughs> and she's basically like, I probably would do that. Think of what we've gotten so far, and I think right now in her career, maybe she's slowed down a little bit. When she comes back for <laughs> forever, for real, it's going to be the types of roles that are the, in the wheelhouse of the movies that I love. She's going to be doing dramas and roles that are just going to be beyond what anybody th could have possibly imagined. My score started with her at 69, but I'm all the way up now to a 95. She is amazing. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> you got Rigby losing his damn mind over there. All right. Uh, well, speaking of Rigby, you're up. You guys have mentioned it all. She's a star. I really enjoy pretty much everything she's in even mother was you know which i know a lot of people didn't like it i didn't hate it but i also didn't love it um but her performance is awesome in that she's not the reason why the movie sucks yeah i mean she's great into i love that she's into charity love how humble she is audrey you Aubrey, you nailed it with the um the you know want to have a beer with her sort of metaphor that's exactly how i thought of her she just seems like she'd be really cool to hang out with 
uh, really cool to just go on a walk with, talk with, talk about stuff, talk about life. She seems to be really down to earth, and I really respect that. So yeah, I'm gonna give her an 89. Case, round this out. You guys have nailed all the uh, big parts. I'll just add a couple of small anecdotes here. Not too long ago, I actually was in a uh, debate with somebody. I said that that she was her generation's true movie star, and these people kept arguing with me. And and the only people they could name were like Leonardo DiCaprio. And and I'm like, she's, you know, 15, 20 years behind him. It's a different generation. And and I still hold true to that. I, I, I consider her her generation's true star. The other thing I think is impressive is she's got generational talent. And in any field, generational talent usually gets wasted by lazy people and people that make bad decisions. And she has done neither of those. And to me, that's incredibly impressive. I've always been a big fan of hers. And I'm going to give her a 95 as well. All right. You guys are throwing out some high scores. Yeah. I love it. The only thing that's stopping me from giving her a 90 is that she just hasn't been around long enough. Yeah, like, I can't do it. Been that. Yeah. You got to give me you got to give me 30 years in the industry before I start giving you 90 pluses. Kyle, you got to remember this, though. You put a lot of work into yours and mine are fictitious. So I had a barroom conversation not too long ago, and I defended her for hours. I'm going to stick with my 95. That's true. All right. With that, that gives Jennifer Lawrence an 89.83, which puts her in fourth place on the Munson meter, sandwiched between PSH and just ahead of Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, wow. Jamie Lee Curtis hurts me a little bit, but I did rate her higher than Jamie Lee Curtis. It's an interesting entry. So what's our five then? Leo, Michael Caine, Philip Seymour Hoffman, Jennifer Lawrence, and Jamie Lee Curtis. And then followed by Maggie Smith, Emma Thompson, Jim Carrey, Halle Berry, and Susan Sarandon. Nice. Aubrey, what does she got coming? Uh, thankfully, quite a bit. So we got the one movie that comes out tomorrow, No Hard Feelings, which I'm excited for. Uh, a couple that are in development, uh, a biopic on Zelda Fitzgerald, the author, and then there's the untitled Jennifer Lawrence, Amy Schumer project that has been rumored since I think I first heard her talk about it when she was doing press for mother. They are besties. She was talking about this movie. I like Amy Schumer just fine. I'm not going to like rush out of my way to go see anything that she's doing, but I'm still kind of here for that. Uh, The other things she has in production are actually really interesting. So she's got a movie East of Eden, which is basically, um, a reenactment of the Cain and Abel story with that's written and directed by Gary Ross, who did the first Hunger Games um, adaptation. Then you have Die My Love, which is a horror thriller directed by Lynn Ramsey, who did. Yeah, you were never really here. Yeah, it's going to be fun. We got Mob Girl, which is a Paolo Sorrento movie or Sarantino movie, where after years as a mob girlfriend, a woman began get in on the action herself eventually becoming a police informant and major witness in the government's case against a crime family she's the only person attached to that and then lastly burial rights which is uh luca guadagnino yeah she's got some biggies coming i feel like i don't have to say anything else about that i'm also seeing she's involved in a uh, movie called bad blood it's the story about elizabeth holmes who had that biotech company that's been in the works for a long time Oh, yeah. That's been in the works for a while. I hope she's playing 
Elizabeth Holmes. That would be fantastic. She is. But didn't they create the TV show with um, what's her face? Yeah. What's her Amanda, name? Amanda, Amanda Seyfried. Yep. She's so fire. I heard about this one before that one. Even in just what she has coming, it's a bit of what we've already seen. There's a little bit of everything in there. I'm genuinely excited to see what she does in the next five, ten years. I think she's going to do some really cool stuff, like Dame's talked about. If she ever, do- if she ever does pair with Ari Aster, game over. What she does, elite is what he likes to use. So mm-hmm. it'll be that's a match made in heaven. Mm-hmm. I think of yep. Tony Collette, and then just like amp it up just a little bit, and that's what you're going to get. All right, so next episode's going to hit on July 13th. And we're bringing back Laura Adams, James's sister. She's she was here for Susan Sarandon and Chloe Grace Moretz. The wheel selected one of these five actors, and she picked to join us for one of these five. And James is no longer here, so I know last time he said he pretty much already sure what it's going to be. So uh, we got Kevin Spacey, John Cusack, Russell Crowe, Lindsay Duncan, and Julianne Nicholson. What do we think about that list? <laughs> it's a good list. It's a fun list. Spacey's. We all know about his. He's such a good actor, but he's obviously got some off the court issues that could be uh could be bothersome. Have we dealt with somebody who's maybe like well, I guess William Hurt, but have we have we done like a Me Too person? No, I don't know how we haven't had an experience yet where we've had to like rate someone for their acting abilities and then take off significant points because of whatever allegation. Didn't wasn't there some like stuff with William Hurt about how he was like he had been abused, or he'd been a, he'd been accused of like hitting his wife or something like that. I can't really remember, but yeah, Marley Matlin. No, he abused, he had allegedly yeah. abused Marley Matlin. That was probably the closest we've got to sort of trying to separate that from someone's career, you know. That and Jennifer Lawrence just breaking Dame's Mars heart. You know? Yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know really anything about Lindsay Duncan, so that one would be interesting. I guess I just don't know. Julianne, uh, what's her last name? Nicholson. Nicholson, she's fun. She's yeah, she's been in so many good TV shows too. She's she's one of those people where it's like, where do I know her from? And then you see her, and it's like, oh yeah, she's a really good actress. Yeah, I like Julianne Nicholson. For me, if it's Kevin Spacey, I'm busy that night and can't record. <laughs> or it's John Cusack or Russell Crowe. Those would be my two picks. Yeah, those would be the two. Those would be the most fun. Yeah, Russell Crowe would be probably my pick just because he's. Walk around the world with Russell Crowe. But John Cusack, John Cusack would be fun because we get to watch a lot of cool 80s movies, too. Finally get to talk about Con Air, baby. That's exactly right. We got to mention it with, with Danny Trejo. We could have a real legitimate conversation about one of the greatest movies of all time. Oh. Ooh, I do love Con Air, but that's a bold exclamation, sir. Wow. Next, you're going to tell us Waterworld's one of the best movies of all time, too, right? Better than Con Air. Nope. Waterworld's better than Con Air? By 15 times. That's the hottest of takes. That is a spicy take, baby. James, of the five, who would you pick? Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. That's a good choice. Kevin Sp- I mean, any of the top three. Okay. Kevin Spacey, Cusack, or Crowe. I, I would love to do any of those, yes. That'd be quite a band. Spacey, Cusack, and Crowe. There you go. <laughs> a lot of with plenty of legal issues. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so who do we think Laura would pick? Who did, who did she choose? She did Sarandon and Chloe Grace Moretz. Cusack. Yeah, Cusack for me. That's that's my bet, too. I'm going to say Russell Crowe. Okay. I've got no real basis for that. Laura doesn't decide. James doesn't decide. Dames doesn't decide. The wheel decides, and we'll see what happens. 
All right, James, we've reached the end, my friend. Any, uh, we always love having you here. You're great. Yeah, you man. make us laugh. Yeah, this was fun. It's always great content. Got to cut the good stuff somewhere along the way. But any plugs, any wise words for our audience? It's uh, your red carpet, my friend. Man, just check out Lock 22 Productions on YouTube. There's always something good going on there for everybody. Got a new show called Shrewsworthy, where Ben Shrewsbury, one of the guys in one of our shows, talks to a sex addict who's reformed through God. And it's quite an exhilarating interview. So check it out. Interesting. We will point the audiences to it on the on the social media. So we appreciate you being here, man. Thank you. Yeah, yeah dude, you're awesome hilarious, games. man. That was that was fun. Always yeah, a pleasure. I love you guys. Keep us posted on that documentary, man. For real. We'll do. We'll do. Well, as we wrap things up, you can catch us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on the Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from Jennifer Lawrence? You are afraid to live. You're a hypocrite. You're a conformist. You're a liar. I opened up to you and you judged me. You're an asshole. You're an asshole. Munson's out. Let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? Kind of like Rebecca remains Stamos before she got Stamosed, but not as skinny as Rebecca. Someone a little meatier, like Heidi, but without the accent. You know those accents. Yeah, 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 yeah. They really get old fast. You know what I'm saying? Someone like that.